podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Is it time again already? Yes. Welcome back to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the independent Derby County podcast. Make yourselves comfortable, check your temperature and fire up that internet stream because a new season in the new normal is almost upon us. And it's like we haven't really been away, isn't it? Uh, I'm Chris. Thanks ever so much once again for joining us and throwing themselves headfirst into the 2021 campaign with me. Arthur Martin, you all right? Well, good, thanks, Chris. And uh, they say he always lives in his own bubble. It's uh, it's Richard Kutcher. How was your off season? Very good. Big bubble. Big bubble. <laughs> Growing bubble. But yeah, very good off season. Thanks, Chris. Uh, pleased to be back. Good. Good to hear it. Uh, loads to cram in for our season preview podcast because apparently Derby just don't do quiet summers anymore. Of course, there's the huge news on that EFL charge. There are new faces in Derby's defence, and we take a look at this season's promotion race with uh, contributions from three rival clubs from the championship. Uh, Can the Rams crack the top six this year or will it be another campaign where we stay socially distanced from the Premier League? Uh, But before we dive in, Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered once again for the season with our pals over at Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. So do check them out or give them a follow on social. But Tom, Kutch, we're recording this uh, days after the Rams heard the outcome of the EFL charges against them. I mean, this could be the biggest news we get all season, and it's happened before a ball has even been kicked. Uh, Derby County have been cleared of the two alleged breaches of EFL rules. No one likes us. We don't care. Uh, And now seven months after we were first charged, we can finally put this sorry saga behind us. EFL appeal pending, of course, and just get on with the season. It was never in doubt, was it? Uh, I wish, I wish, I wish that's how I felt about it. I, I think you know we talked about it quite a lot, unfortunately, last season. Uh, I was always concerned that we were going to face some kind of point deduction, and the pessimist in me thought that would probably be at least nine points after the Sheffield Wednesday results. Some people said that looked good for us and kind of gave me a little bit more hope. But to be honest, I was I was very surprised. Not because I thought we should have been charged, just the way it was going. I thought we should probably. I thought we were going to get a points deduction and it kind of write off our season. So I'm just so relieved we can start with a clean slate this season. And hopefully it's, it's the last of off the field things we'll talk about for, for nine months. Yeah, this uh, this past year and a bit has really been sort of uh, tarnished by off the field matters. And the fact that this is now over before the season starts, I think it really sets us to have a, a decent season on the, on the pitch. Uh, I'm really pleased that the charges have been thrown out. I know Mel said that he was going to com- contest them like strongly um, right the way through. We've, we've obviously done that and I'm, I'm delighted that we've won it. Uh, but now it's to focus on the business on the pitch. I mean, I think it's fair to say if, if, if nothing major happens off the pitch this season, I'm completely fine with that. <laughs> That's completely... I'd absolutely take that right now if you offered it to me. Um, I mean, the club were always adamant from the word go that, that Derby had done nothing wrong. We talked about this at length before. I, I did sort of believe them in that sense. But like you said, Coach, I still wasn't convinced really that um, 
I mean, I, I still was convinced, sorry, that the EFL would still find a way to make an example of us somehow. So when the verdict did come in, there was a part of me that was quite pleasantly surprised. I mean, most of our listeners, when we discussed this with them on Twitter, uh, some of them said that they were convinced from the word go that, that we're being the clear. Others had a bit of a niggling suspicion something might happen. Uh, Lewis Hopkins told us on Twitter, he said, I knew we'd be fine. If it went the other way, I would have expected us to contest it and eventually win either way. Uh, James Randall said he was, quote, confident from the start. And uh, Jakey McJakeface, he said on Twitter, uh, always confident we'd done nothing wrong. The EFL had zero, zero issue with us until Steve Gibson started throwing toys out the pram. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, we, we've obviously been creative. There's no doubt that we've been creative and, we, and we've pushed the boundaries or the spirits of, of certain laws and regulations. But, you know, this case just shows, and most of the commentary from, from journalists have, have explained this, just what a basket case the EFL is. You know, it's it was not the EFL that dismissed the charges. It was an independent panel that dismissed the charges because the EFL didn't make their case well enough. They didn't make it clear enough. And the and independent panel thought that Derby were just on the right side of the law. And in terms of the Steve Gibson thing, obviously Borough supposedly have been but one of, the, one of a couple of clubs pushing this for the EFL to investigate further. But what's interesting is, yeah, there's been some kind of Daily Mail stories and some other publications saying that you know that, that all the clubs are furious with Derby and and they're and they're they're fuming that they've been let off the hook for this. But actually, most of those articles contain equal amount of clubs who are actually furious with the EFL for one not getting their act together, not making a case properly. And if they can't make the case, why the hell do they bring? a lawsuit which has run into more than a million pounds which they've now all got to pay for so it's just a bit embarrassing for the EFL to be honest and I'd imagine the EFL should probably want to, to leave it there yeah I'd, I'd imagine they will I can't I can't see them uh, necessarily coming in with their appeal um it just it shows what a mess football is at the moment like 15 years ago even 20 years ago we wouldn't have been talking about these types of charges and seeing these issues there were obviously some problems in the the late 90s early noughties with like Boston United for financial irregularities and stuff but it wasn't it wasn't this complicated stuff that Derby have done the player amortization it's meant to be a level thing over the times of the contract so for a four-year contract so the value is 25 percent over each of those years I understand that Derby did a 10 percent in the first year 20 in the second 30 in the third and 40 in the fourth um so it was a, a bending of the rules but it was allowed that wasn't wasn't not allowed and then it, that was the issue that the EFL had so uh, I'm delighted as I say that it's been thrown out uh, the EFL haven't put their case together and I'm sure Kutch will tell us more about Mr Messenger um some of the things that you hit come out within the papers it's just it's just mad so uh, really pleased with Derby and a bit of a joke from the EFL I mean, you, you've alluded to it there, Tom. It was only when the written reasons came out that everyone could see what an absolute Western that the EFL had had in trying to make these uh, charges stick to, to Derby. The, the player amortisation charge you mentioned there. So in layman's terms, that is how Derby navigated the profitability and sustainability rules by valuing players themselves over the length of their contracts. It seems that when the reasons came out, Derby were transparent in declaring this this unorthodox but legal accounting method. And it seems that EFL weren't even 100% clear on what, what we were doing before they decided to charge us, which is toothless and shambolic in one sense. And then you come to the really juicy stuff, which is the fair market value of Pride Park Stadium, which is the other charge that the uh, put towards Derby and this is where the EFL were made to look really, really stupid. Uh, both Derby and the EFL used chartered surveyors to value the ground based on various factors. 
And to cut a long story short, the EFL surveyor, a chap called Roger Messenger, said Pride Park was, quote, bog standard. And uh, he compared the cost of rebuilding our ground to that of rebuilding the Globe Arena, which is home to League Two Morecambe. And uh, in case you're wondering, the Globe Arena is a ground which um, holds around six and a half thousand, so it's five times smaller than Pride Park and has one, that's one stand with seats in it and three <laughs> terraces. Uh, I'm, you know, look, I'm not saying that, that Pride Park is like the Allianz Arena or, or anything, but we're, we're a mid-sized English club with a respectable sized ground with decent facilities. But it's, it's an absolute joke well, that they try to make this stick. And, and it's, it's no wonder Derby's statement after the verdict was so strong against the EFL because if that's the best that EFL had to offer, that they've tried to charge us based on a comparison which is essentially like comparing like a, an Audi to a Fiat Cinquecento. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> shambolic stuff. Well, don't treat the messenger, Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, it's shambolic stuff. It just looks, it just looks amateurish, isn't it? it just, they've obviously not got the right expert in. It's that classic thing of inquiries or hearings where one expert, you know, you have two, two people who are supposedly experts in the same thing and one side gets the expert to say what they want him to say and the other side get the expert to say what they want him to say and it's whoever's more convincing. And EFL obviously hired someone that wasn't very convincing and did a bit of a shambolic job. It's hard to really explain why you'd think that Pride Park has a similar kind of rebuild value as, as the Globe Arena in Morecambe. It's just, it's mind-boggling. It almost looks like deliberate incompetence. It's that bad. I'm sure it wasn't. But... Again, again, one stand. <laughs> Do you think he uh, misspelt Middlesbrough when he wrote down Morecambe? <laughs> I mean, you could you could argue that yeah, Riverside and Pride Park are pretty pretty close, aren't they? Well, carbon copies of each other. Yeah. But one's in Middlesbrough, one's in Derby, though. So that's an, an immediate difference. <laughs> Look, it's brilliant we've won the case if, if there's no appeal and we can put it behind us. But let's just remember, we weren't in a good place. The fact we had to sell the stadium to our owner and the fact that we had to get a little bit creative about amortisation does not reflect well on the club in the long run. We shouldn't be in, you know, I, we don't want to be selling our stadium. Clubs that don't own their stadium very rarely ends well, as we've said in this pod numerous times before. So it's great that this is behind us and it's great that we've got big owners off the wage bill. Maybe we can start to press the reset button. But in this document, we haven't published uh, our accounts for the 2018-2019 Frank Lampard season, but in the written reasons, it does give you a hint, but it's basically £38 million loss in that year, £7 million profit the year before because of the stadium sale. So over the, I think they're going to do a four-year period this time around in terms of what the FF, FFP calculation is. I think they're giving clubs a little bit more leeway with COVID, which is going to be a real blessing for us because I think we would have been in, in big trouble again even having sold a stadium with 37, 38 million pound losses in 2018-2019 would have caused us problems again. So look, we've got the charge off our back for now, but things still need sorting out and the club's still in a problem. It's still in a financial mess. We need investment and we don't own our own stadium. Yeah, well, I guess that's it's been mentioned already by some other people that, that there's a reason why we're fielding so many youngsters and that's partly to, to build players with decent market resale value and partly because we have to, really. There's also talk that Derby were under a soft transfer embargo during the, the midst of this charge, which would explain uh, a lot of things, why we lost out on certain players um, and why we are where we are. But if you turn to uh, matters on the field, next season, Mel Morris alluded to it in, in the, the written reasons that he thinks he wasn't liked by the EFL. He thinks Derby aren't liked, if, if, if that's the way of analysing it. Do you expect that to 
translate onto the pitch at all, really. I mean, look, teams are going to... This made national headlines. And when crowds are let back in and when teams play us, they're going to look at us and, and look at Derby as being a club that have dodged a potentially huge punishment, especially when it's clubs like Wednesday who were punished. I know for completely different reasons, but I guess what I'm getting at is could this affect things on the field? Well, not a likes club at the moment. Could we even use that to our advantage in terms of fostering a sort of um, us versus them mentality in, in terms of Derby versus the rest of the league and the championship? Yeah, I certainly can see that. Um, obviously, Steve Gibson has probably been the most vocal uh, person against against the club over the last few years about what they've done, but he's not the only one. Uh, even clubs who you'd be like, well, they're not in the same uh, ballpark, even in the championship, and certainly not local rivals like Luton Town have come out against uh, what's happened as well. So instead, it's an unfair playing playing field. I mean, if you compare Luton and the budget they're working on to the budget that Derby could work on, and then if Derby are bending the rules, I can t- certainly see why why it seems to be unfair to them. So there is very much like a, an anger, almost at boardroom level. But then because that gets played out in the media so much, it then comes onto onto the likes of Twitter and other social media platforms, and the fans then get angry about it, and then they all get riled up, and obviously we can't go to the ground at the moment, so people are getting even more angry at one another on on social media, and it can be a pretty toxic place, and I do feel uh, there is a lot of venting and a lot of hate towards Derby at the moment, and I wouldn't be surprised to keep that going. And to be honest, I don't care, because what matters is the 90 minutes on the pitch uh, and the 46 games we play over the season. And I think we can really turn that to our advantage. I think we've got a a much stronger mentality than we did in terms of the players. We've got a a captain in uh, Rooney and a manager in Koku who are both steely and strong characters. And I think they'll they'll lead those young players um, like Knight, like Bogle, um, like Sibley for example they'll lead them through this season I'm really positive about what's going to happen on the pitch which is what I really want to focus on yeah I can see Tom desperate to talk about stuff <laughs> on the pitch rather than stuff going off in, in back offices and I think we all are I, I don't think we've got the kind of squad profile or players you know Rooney aside maybe um, who would kind of really relish that bats against the wall everyone us against everyone else kind of approach I don't really think that's Philip Cocu's style either he, you know, he does he does have strong words to say sometimes when he feels like people are attacking the club and he does stick up for his club which is great to see and you can see that he's got a genuine affinity for the club I just don't think it's he seems a bit more calm and measured you know in person rather than trying to make it a big like you know chess beating um, thing like Lampard I think would probably try and turn it to your advantage Cocu's maybe a bit more considered than that but I can see someone like Rooney and Sibley seem like the kind of people that would kind of relish that kind of approach yeah I think there's a there's a balance isn't there you don't want to go uh, overly passionate and then lose your heads on it I think Cocu, as you say is a very calm uh, and measured person I think there'll be a there'll be a sort of closed wall mentality within the club and then inside that it'll be like we'll just do our jobs and stay calm and keep doing what we're meant to be doing um whilst the rest of the world sort of goes a bit bit mental and and shouty about it and if we can keep our focus and um, that's the best way for a club to be run and it's the best way for for me for a club to be managed well it will be um yet again another season in the championship for derby of course uh derby now being the long joint longest serving club in the championship uh how are we all feeling about our chances compared to previous seasons. I mean, I look at our team and I look at the division and in simplistic terms, I think it's fair to say we're stronger at the back than we were. And I'd say the league is weaker. And I guess that must must count for something, but it's also a fact that we haven't replaced a player who was directly involved in more goals last season than anyone else, regardless of his age or his overall contribution in Chris Martin. I think right now we're probably one or two players short of having the guaranteed quality and continuity to mount a top six challenge. Where do you both stand on that? 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think two or three players short of both of those two or three need to be coming in the final third of the pitch. So whether that's one winger and a striker or two wingers and a striker, I think we need at least one winger, at least one striker in the building. But Jack Marriott potentially isn't like a new signing for us this season. Like for me, this is make or break time. I've been probably the most skeptical of all of us about Jack Marriott over the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, he looks really fit. Obviously, he came back just at the end of the season after his operation. So Jack Marriott could be that striker that we need. I still think we need some raw pace up front and we definitely need at least one winger you can hopefully expect Morgan Whitaker will kick on a little bit and he can play up front or or out wide but yeah it's 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 pace we need raw pace whether that's in the form of a winger or striker probably ideally both I think our, our main priority as a signing from this point on is a left winger for me and someone with pace, someone with a bit of trickery. Um, whilst Lawrence is tricky, he's not really genuinely a left winger. He's not direct, is he? No, and um, I think while Wagon can play quite nicely out on the left, I'd like to see him through the middle and give him a chance. And as you say, Marriott's a real option through that middle. And then we've got two, depending on the formation we play, of course, and that's something that we will see over the next few weeks and we'll probably debate in future podcasts. But You've, you've maybe got one central striker and you've then got Marriott and Waghorn but then you've got sort of the likes of Hector Ingram coming through the, uh, in the under-23s and other players like Whitaker as well who could potentially play through that middle and could you arguably play someone like Lawrence as a the sort of a, a focal point through there like a second um, striker yeah and then play someone like Sibley very close up to him and again as I say it depends on the depends on the uh, formation we play so I don't necessarily think a out and out replacement for Chris Martin is essential it would be good if we could get something like that uh, I do think a, a winger who can get the ball into the box and create chances is much more important someone who will give us a bit more of an option and if not we've really got to rely on our fullbacks whoever it might be at left back we've got lots of options there uh, on Bogle on the other side to really get forward and I think the width is the issue that we've got so I'd like to see see a winger but to, to answer your question Chris I, I would agree I think we're, we're probably top 10 at the moment um, but I think we've done some good business so far in the summer the bookies would tend to agree with what you've just said there, Tom. Um, generally, across the board, Derby are around eighth favourites to uh, get promoted from the Championship this season, uh, behind Watford, who are uh, Watford and Brentford, who, depending on who you look at, are the main uh, promotion favourites. Then Norwich, Bournemouth, Stoke, which I find surprising, Forest, and Cardiff. Uh, so those are the teams who the bookies reckon have slightly more chance of going up than Derby. Uh, I mentioned Brentford there. They were losing playoff finalists, beat Derby comfortably twice last season. They'll be looking to go one better this year, provided they can keep the uh, Championship's best front three at the club for another season. So um, what are their chances? Well, we had a chat to a friend of the podcast, Billy Grant from the B-Sotted Brentford podcast, and asked him, firstly, if they can keep the BMW at Brentford and secondly his thoughts on the upcoming campaign it seems like about three and a half days since uh, we played our last game at Wembley the playoff final um I'm not feeling I'm not feeling so bad about losing against Fulham it took me about two days to get over it and I'm really hoping the players are exactly the same I'd like to think that they're professionals you know of course we had BMW who was in our team everyone was raving about them Benrama, Watkins and Mbumo you know whether or not they're all going to be intact highly unlikely I think that Watkins is going to go I mean anyone who doesn't want to buy a 28 goal striker or have how many goals he's scored last season is going to be a fool in my books I reckon he's going to be in the England squad for the European Championships next season um, or next summer 
as a as a Premier League player. So someone's going to buy him. Let's just see who it is. I hope it's not Fulham. And also Ben Rama, I think he's going to go as well because he's been itching for a move for over a year. Great player. Still got his flaws. You know, he lets the side down a little bit when he doesn't track back. And also he gives the ball away in the wrong type of areas. And I think that we could replace him. It looks like Ivan Tony may be on the cards for Brentford. And that looks exciting. And if we can get him, the League One player of the season, and we put him into place, you know, we could be well set to go. Watford you know, and Bournemouth and Norwich. They're coming down with their Premier League money. If they don't, and they're all over the place, I reckon that Watford should do okay. You know, they looked half decent and also they shouldn't have been in the position they were. They must have just fluffed it at the end of the season. If you like your XG, Watford are a lot higher than the position in their table. So if they carry on doing what they're doing, I think that Watford could be a threat. But for me, Swansea, I thought Swansea were actually a decent side when we played them in the first game, other than the nasty little kind of, you know, the shithousery that they tried to do, which I think if they knock that out of their game, they'll be a good team. So they're a team, I think, that you should watch out for and where Derby will fit in this season I can't really tell I know you just missed out last season but the problems that, it seems, that you seem to have is actually putting the ball into the back of the net you, you do some good great play you get some good transitional play you've got Rooney who plays some great balls got some great free kicks but it's actually you know actually converting them to goals which is your issue and if you could solve that then I think Derby are going to be uh, a bit of a threat So that's Brentford Tom as I said, they outplayed us twice last season, basically. Um, but you've had a little look at what the other what the other promotion challenges in the championship have really been up to. I know it's early days in the window. Uh, the transfer window is open till what early October is it? I think so. Still plenty of business yet to be done. But what sort of shape are the leading clubs in? Would you say have been any major ins or outs for the likes of Watford, Norwich, Brentford, Stoke, Forest, etc.? Bizarrely, not really. I guess um, a couple of clubs haven't made any. Uh, signings in Bournemouth and Watford but I think they're both waiting for players to go out obviously Ake has left uh, Bournemouth uh, and only Holobas has left Watford so there, there's definitely um, but definitely some time for movement I think from both of those clubs and I think Jonathan that you'll hear from the Watford fan will say that quite a number of the players such as Saar or Delefeu uh, could be leaving Watford um, I think the, the team that have made the best business for me uh, or the best signing is Norwich I really like the signing of Jordan Hugel um, who I believe correct me if I'm wrong, he played at front for Preston a few years ago, uh, scored a load of goals for them, then he went to West Ham, it never really quite worked out, he's not had the game time, but £3 million I think is a great signing. And um, actually they've also signed a Polish left winger called Plachata, who plays for Voslav in the Polish league, he scored eight goals last year. Um, he's quick and he's, he's pacey, he's been linked to the uh, main national squad, he's been playing in the under 21. So those two signings have been the real standouts, but I think other teams like Brentford, uh, as Billy said about Watkins probably going, um, and Ben Rama, he thinks they could replace them, and I I'd probably agree Watkins would be harder to replace. They're waiting for that movement first before anything else. So I don't think there's any major standout. I really think Norwich have strengthened well, and they haven't lost too many, uh, too many of their sort of major players. And I think that Bournemouth and Watford are gonna are gonna be easier to play early on in the season, and they will come good towards the end of the season if they do. Yeah, I think with uh, what you've seen with Norwich is they've done so much business so quickly. And I think that's because they've known what division they're going to be in since almost like probably November or December. So they've had so much time to assess what their strategy is, identify their targets and get them done quickly. You know, I think we'd be expecting some outgoings at Norwich. There's some good youngsters there that you'd expect to be moved on. They've already got players in the house to replace them. So they've done really smart business. It's a well-run club. You know, people can scoff at them being kind of a deliberate yo-yo club, but it has worked for clubs like Burnley in the past, go up, come down, go up stronger and stay there and build. And that's what Norwich are trying to do. So for, of the three relegated teams, Norwich look easy and best equipped. Watford and Bournemouth, as ever with relegated 
the clubs are in a bit of a mess. It's they they could be twentieth at Christmas, and as Tom said, fifth at the end of the season, or they could or they could have a great season, or they could go down. Like I just think those clubs coming down, you just never have any clue what's going to happen to them. So Bournemouth, as you mentioned there, are also among the bookies' favourites. Uh, they might have lost Eddie Howe and Nathan Ake and Player of the Season their keeper. Aaron Ramsdale but they'll still be hoping to bounce straight back uh, here's journalist Simon Garner from the Up the Cherries podcast on their hopes for the new campaign so when it comes to Bournemouth then our squad is in a bit of state of limbo at the moment we've lost Nathan Ake already he's gone to Man City for 40 million Aaron Ramsdale our first choice keeper's gone to Chef U for about 18 million and we may still lose um, a few more players uh, before the season kicks off, you, you know, Josh King, Callum Wilson, David Brooks, Jefferson Lerma, all of these players um, might be departing. We, uncertain times at the moment and it's hard to make a sort of cast iron prediction as to how our season's going to go. Because it really, if we, if we keep all the players that I just mentioned, um, we could be top two. But if we lose all of those play, players I just mentioned, then um, we could easily be, we could easily be lower mid-table and even possibly struggling with um, a novice manager in Jason Tindall. You know, we were all really shocked when um, Eddie Howe suddenly left. Um, we didn't see it coming. We thought he would be here for this season. Um, Tindall, we're not quite sure about him. Um, he doesn't come across very well in interviews, bit sort of like trigger from only fools and horses, to be honest. Um, so uh, hopefully there's a bit more to him than meets the eye. So it's it's a really hard one to predict. Um, I will say playoffs would be my prediction at this point. You know, on the guesstimate that we lose another couple of players, but keep a couple of those players that I mentioned. Um, probably the same as Derby. I see Derby playoffs as well. So um, yeah, we'll see you um, for the uh, Wembley final. So that's the Bournemouth view. One of the toughest parts of the season, looking at the fixture list, is going to be October, isn't it? Before Christmas, when Derby play all three relegated Premier League teams, as well as Cardiff and Forest, who finished fifth and seventh Oops, last season. Um, <laughs> one of those games is against Watford. And uh, so here's friend of the podcast and Derby slash Watford fan, Jonathan Rogers, he can explain that, on uh, the Hornets prospects. I asked him how likely they are to stick with their manager, whether they'll keep that Premier League squad together and what his predictions are for their upcoming season. You'll never get managerial stability with Watford and this didn't matter last time they got promoted to the Premier League in 2014-2015 when they had four managers in a season. Uh, in Watford's model, the coach doesn't have any involvement in signings or the wider strategy for the club. His role is simply to get the best out of the players that are put in front of him. Gracia, Flores and Pearson couldn't do that last season, that's why they got sacked. To be successful in the Championship this season, Watford's owners need to demonstrate that they've made the right choice in appointing Vladimir Ivic as the new coach. It's as simple as that. If the rumours in the press are correct, Watford are in for a significant amount of player turnover. Decore will definitely go to Everton. Capua and Firmenia will go to Valencia. Delafoe might go back to Spain. Pereira might go back to Italy. Welbeck won't want to play in the Championship. And Dini may go to West Brom. All these will be replaced by relatively unknown players already on Watford or Udinese's books, but of who have either been on the periphery of the squad or on loan to various sides in Europe. Any success this season depends on how good Ivic is and how well the new players will do. If they can keep hold of Will Hughes, the new players certainly in OK and Evicta as well, as he's done, does as well as he's done in Greece and Israel, then they could be looking at joining Derby in the playoffs. 
So there you go. That's the view from three of the uh, promotion favourites. I don't know about you. Am I missing something? Why, why are Stoke up there? They were nowhere near the playoff the, the playoff push last season at any point. Yeah, they they had some good players though last season, didn't they? If you think like a Phoebe was up front and then Tom Ince, they got they solid championship players McLean still with them as well I believe and actually the the signings they've made so far in the window they're not going to I don't think they're going to set the world alight but they are solid uh, Morgan Fox and Stephen Fletcher from Sheffield Wednesday uh, and James Chester from from Villa just strengthens the the, the spine of the team and, and gives them a bit more sort of championship experience and stability rather than maybe some uh, flamboyance and the, the, the type of players that can do it away at Stoke on a cold Tuesday night which yeah, is impossible for or them. at home at Stoke on a cold Tuesday night <laughs> I mean it, it, it I think that the odds probably reflect the fact they've got a little bit of stability as as Tom said they've got a manager there who's in place now they had a relatively strong end of the season they were, you know they had managed to end Forest's playoff dream on the last day which was fantastic uh, I think it's probably reflecting of a bit of stability and and the bookies probably having a bit of, a bit of faith in in their manager so I, I don't think they're going to be running away of the league but I think they probably should be kind of playoff contenders yeah, sim- similar to Stoke, I think um, we're going to Forest and making that link there. Um, Forest had a great season last year, and then it uh, petered out fantastically, which was great. But um, they again have signed sort of championship experience, like Tyler Blackett from Reading. Uh, Jack Colback has come back to the uh, team, and Lyle Taylor is the one that interests me. I think he could be a good foil for Lewis Graben. Uh, but at the same time, I've got some friends who are Charlton fans. They're not particularly. Um, which I don't know how to put this quite so politely. They're not very happy at him and his influence on the dressing room. So it could be a bit of a Lyle divisive. Taylor. Yeah, could be a divisive um, influence on the dressing room. So we'll have to see how that one works out. And finally, Cardiff are just Cardiff, aren't they? They're big and strong. And I know we were linked with Kiefer Moore, who played for Yeovil uh, all those years back, Chris, when we went to um, to Yeovil to see that that Derby side beat them three 0 um, he plays for Wales now he's been brought in for £2 million from I believe Wigan I think he scored about 12 goals last year so he could be a big sort of battering ram up front for them but they're they're functional rather than classy and they're the sort of side that could string some results together uh, beating the weaker teams and getting points against sides like Brentford like Norwich for example where you wouldn't expect them just because of their solidity so it's quite competitive but I do think there's a lot of average and solid teams rather than anything fantastic and flamboyant just one last mention before we go to the break. A team slightly below Derby in the bookies odds. Middlesbrough, Warnock. Couldn't happen again, could it? One one last hurrah for, for 103-year-old Neil Warnock. God, I hope not. I mean, I mean, they've named a street after Marcelo Bielsa in, in Leeds. I don't know how many streets Neil Warnock's got named after around the country, if that's, that's what it takes to, to get a street named after you, because he's won so many promotions. I mean, I hope not. I mean, it's a basket case of a club. Gibson's embarrassed himself. Warnock's a prick. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you hope not. But I wouldn't put it past him. You never write him off just because I don't like him doesn't mean he's not an effective manager at this level um, I, didn't, I didn't really plan to mention Warnock but, uh, but there we go we have to squeeze him in I'm hungover um, Chris and he made me talk about Neil Warnock and Bielsa absolutely miserable and Bielsa bloody hell <laughs> well on that note why don't we have a little break shall we uh, you can um, follow Steve Bloom's washing on social we're on uh, Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Steve Bloomer Pod we'll be back in a sec Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Jerome, well underneath it. Wiltshire knows the pressure is coming from Wisdom. So Derby will be starting next season with a new-look defence, of course, Uh the goalkeeping problem hopefully finally solves. Uh, David Marshall coming in from Wigan and uh, Dutch Mike slotting in nicely at the back as well. 
it's just great. We're, we're clearly dealt with two massive problem areas last season. Um, I mean, firstly, how, how, how are we feeling about David Marshall? For me, age doesn't bother me at all. I was going to look up a load of goalkeepers who are still in great form in the mid-30s, but I forgot. But the point remains... It's not an issue for goal for goalkeepers, really, is it? It's- I mean, our, you know, Tom and I are still brilliant goalkeepers at our ripe old age. Um, you go down to the, the five-a-side <laughs> leagues of, of Dulwich, and you'll see some absolute shapes being thrown out. Yeah. I um, age is just a number, Chris. I've always said that, and he's not going to set the world alight. But if he, you know, he's more than par for the course for the championship. I think the only uh, the only concern would be. You know, is he as good with his feet as he needs to be to play in Koku's system? I think the fact we're looking at four centre-backs in Clark, Bielik, Dutch Mike and Wisdom who are all more than comfortable on the ball. I'm really looking forward to seeing those four play in, in, back, in a back four or a back three next season. I think that means that you don't need to have a keeper who's, who's super fantastic at that. So for me, it, it should put to bed a problem area for two years and that's what we need. Are we going towards a? Do you think we're going towards a back three? It has, it's been dabbled with in pre-season. It's quite interesting because you could have, in theory, like Dutch Mike and Clark, um, and then maybe Bielik dropping in as a um, as a DMC yeah. slash like um, sweeper fans Beckenbauer. Yeah, like a sweeper going, you know, making that transition between defence and attack. What would you reckon, Tom? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is something we definitely need to look at after I reckon seven or eight games in the of the season because I think there's there's lots of options for Derby and we've got real strength through the centre of the pitch. But then it's it's difficult to try and shoehorn all those players into the middle. I mean, centre back we've now got four as you mentioned, and we've got a ton of centre midfielders who do you fit them into two positions or three positions? Like how do you do it? So I could see Derby, uh, especially if we don't sign a left winger, uh, playing some genuine wing backs. I think uh, low. Uh, Buchanan, Forsyth and Bogle can all play that uh, wing-back role and if Bogle's injured I think Dwayne Holmes can fill in there um, effectively enough as a, a sort of backup so I do, I could see a real a back five or, or back three but then two wing-backs um, in the future and I think David Marshall just coming back to back to him like one of the things you want as a goal uh, as a defense is a goalkeeper that is commanding and you trust and if you have a goalkeeper that you can't trust you don't know what's going to happen and you drop deeper and you make mistakes and we've seen that for the last two or three years Lampard's playoff season was great the swashbuckling stuff going forward but calamitous at the back and some of the stuff that happened last year even even like the individual mistakes I refer back to I think it was Matt Clark against Brentford that horrific own goal it, it comes from the fact that he's not sure really about where he should be and he was ended up being too deep he got his feet in a muddle and he kicks the ball into his own net and it's a product of an uncertainty from the goalkeeper and I think Marshall will bring a certainty to that defence and we won't concede 64 goals this year and if we do uh, I'll buy you all I don't know at least six beers well, 64 beers <laughs> well the thing is is that if, if we don't solve the defensive problems this season we never will because you've had Matt Clark is back after a year of, cons- of cons- constant improvement where he, he finished the player of the season um, so he's already familiar with the system he's familiar with how Cocky wants to play he's improving as a centre-back Dutch Mike has been in for an extended pre-season. You know, he joined, he was at the club during the post-lockdown run-in. So he's been there for a long time. He's got starting to know the players. And Marshall, as we've discussed, is a very, very experienced, more than competent goalkeeper who should give some reassurance. And Wisdom's improved at centre-back and Bielik's coming back as well. So for me, the defence should be sorted. We should have, a, as Tom said, we should have a drastically improved uh, uh, defensive side. And we've already shown that we can score a lot of goals. 
bearing in mind we've just lost Chris Martin. So for me, it, it looks really good. And it's just about solving the rest of it. And the last thing I'd say about the back, if you played 3-5-2 or 5-3-2, is having those three centre-backs actually kind of solves your width problem as well. Because you've got, we've stacked with full-backs in both left-back and right-back who can play uh, out wide. And you don't so need to go and get uh, an explosive winger because you've solved that, that pace issue. There's a lot more physicality in that defence as well, isn't there? I, I just I do not want to see us being as shit from set pieces this season as last season. If you think about defending set pieces, Clark, Dutch Mike and Bielik as well, we should not be conceding anywhere near as many from set pieces this season. But yeah, Marshall's in, Dutch Mike's in. Do you think either of those two could be among our most important players this season? I was looking at it myself. I think Bielik could be the man this season, really, for me. He's coming back at a difficult time, scheduled to come back sometime around October, I think, during that that difficult spell. We've talked about before how he can transition between defence and attack, his slot in a centre-back, or start moves with his, like, you know, his rangy covering of the ground and his passing ability, gets us up the pitch quickly. I think if he can just sort his discipline out, which did seem to hinder him and indirectly caused his uh, season-ending injury, we could have a really pivotal player next season if it's not him who do you see as being the standout man in Derby's first team 11 yeah Bielik is, is one of the ones that obviously comes to mind a bit like a bit like Jack Marriott really almost like a new signing because he, he had a kind of an inconsistent like most of the team did his first half of the season and he's just starting to come into some real form when he when he had that suspension and then and that injury uh, so Bielik's definitely in there for me I just think Max Bird because because of the rate of progress he showed during during the second half of the season and particularly after lockdown he just looked like a different play looked so much had so much more presence to him i can see why people are talking about him as a future captain because he's got a real presence about him on the pitch he looks bigger he looks more assured he looks like he knows he fits now he knows that he can do it he's just one player's player of the year i mean you don't get a much higher um, credit than that from your from your own teammates so for me it's Max Burr because if, if that rate of progress continues we're going to really be struggling to keep hold of him next summer uh, yeah I just agree with you there and this is one from my brother uh, he messaged on the whatsapp group yesterday about the uh, 11 points one win Twitter account and he was talking about he does a lot of analytics uh, Max Bird in terms of his pass accuracy and defensive dual win it was up there with Tom Kearney an experienced championship midfielder uh, in his very first season he was like they are so far those two are so far out of everybody else and if he can do the same next year same sort of retention of the ball and the same sort of like uh, turnover of the ball by by winning it back in the tackles next to next to Wayne Rooney he's going to be a fantastic player this year and just sort of going forward in terms of my key player Dwayne Holmes was so close to being player of the year for me uh, this season before his injury uh, and he didn't then kick on I'd love to see him recapture that early season form early to mid-season form when he was just fantastic and really pulling the club uh, pulling the side along so Dwayne Holmes is key for me because he could be our creator and he could be our sort of I don't know ace in the pack uh, and a bit of a surprise when you've got some really obvious talented players who teams might focus on like Rooney like Lawrence for example and they might just not not quite think about Holmes and I'd really like to see him have a great season this year yeah it'll be another season with a difference uh, we won't be able to watch the lads in person for at least the first few weeks of the season uh, but on the pitch there is that continuity with Koku uh, back-to-back pre-seasons for him which is great we've kept hold of the uh, of the young players Sibley Bird Bogle Knights uh, and it looks like we'll be able to long term now we're out of the um, transfer embargo for the short term so there are definite positives and we've upgraded in uh, in problem areas when football does return and it all kicks off again 
either on or off the pitch, what would you say you're you're most looking forward to this season? I would say the fact that hopefully nothing is happening off the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> a quiet off the pitch season is what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to thinking about the football like. Under Frank Lampard, it was up and down, but it was so entertaining. I mean, we were just thinking about football. We weren't thinking about drink drive charges or arrests or sacked players or or, or financial irregularities. That, that stuff was starting to come out then, but it was just a, a really enjoyable football season with some really exciting young talent. And this team has got exciting young talent, like another year of watching Louis Sibley develop. Like we just got a glimpse of him at the end of last season and it was absolutely fantastic. So, you know, could Louis Sibley take the same kind of steps that Max Bird took? Uh, in the last at the end of this season you know how is Morgan Whitaker going to develop I think on the pitch for me it's all about the next stage and those kind of four or five young players you know which are the next ones to actually break into the team there's there's nothing more exciting than watching uh, academy players come into a team and 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 we've got we've got the right people in place to guide them whether that's Rooney on the pitch or Cochrane his coaching staff off it for me I'm really excited about the season I just hope we can do some good business at the top end of the pitch because I think that could be I think we'd be set for a real challenge if we could did. be make or break, couldn't it? If we whether we sign two good attacking players, yeah, I, I do think so. But um, just being at the risk of being Mister Negative, and I don't know what our <laughs> listeners think here. Um, this is the least excited I've been about a season really, yeah. in ages because the fixtures came out and I went, oh, yeah, great, the fixtures are out. I, I can't go to the game, so I can't plan on what weekend we're going to do something. And it's for me that is the biggest part. So I'm really looking forward to hopefully coronavirus sort of, uh, easing off and not having this big second wave and the, the, the tests at Brighton that we saw I think over the weekend being effective and I'm not a season ticket holder so I understand that I'm going to be way down the pecking order for getting a ticket but I really want to go to see one derby game at least this season and that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most and at the moment I, I'm, I'm not hugely excited by watching it on the TV but that will change of course as soon as the football kicks off again and if we pick up a couple of wins like that has a big impact on you but for now like we're playing I think we're Barrow on Saturday in the League Cup and 12, I just looked it up earlier on it, we're kicking off at 12 o'clock I'm like, am I going to spend my Saturday watching Barrow? Probably but it's, it's that thing at the moment I'm sitting here that's a bit hungover with Kutch like, and Chris and I'm just like nah probably not I won't watch it But I think I think the, uh, the Tom's kind of like uh like crying monologue is becoming a regular thing in the podcast now because we had it about I think it was about Chris Martin a few weeks ago on the season, on the season review and he's almost winning up but we are hungover and it does it's, do that it's very you. therapeutic I mean I've been locked down with you basically for the last sort of four months and it's been been a nightmare I guess the the quick transition into new season hasn't really helped either like football yeah. hasn't really been away for long enough to really foster the uh you know the the huge excitement that normally builds before a season i definitely know what tom's saying because it's just not the same with fans whether you're at the game or watching it on tv it's not the same about fans what i'm clinging on to and maybe i'm a bit more optimistic than tom is is those first three matches because we were winning after lockdown you know we come back and as i said in the season review pod louis sibley bangs a hat trick this 18 year old kid from the academy Mm -hmm. and there's nothing more exciting than that obviously It'd be more exciting if we'd been in the way end at Millwall like we would have been, uh, being there to see it happen and, and watching 3,000 Derby fans revel in it. So I, I think watching a losing side in lockdown or uh, behind closed doors is particularly depressing. If we're winning, I can just about stomach it, seeing no fans there. But yeah, I, I think Tom's right. In terms of the one hope or thing we're looking forward to most this season is hopefully going to a football match. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Being back in Pride Park again, whenever that happens, will be... Uh... Yeah, it will be a, a huge moment. You definitely take it for granted. And Wickham away will be nice as well. If we yeah. do man- if we do get to go, that's in February. Yeah. Maybe, glass half full, maybe we'll be able to go to that, do you think? I mean, you'd think away fans is going to be the last thing they're allowed to do, as in as in, in the stages it's of... Travel, isn't it? As yeah, well. travel. They don't want to encourage fans to be travelling around the country. For me, it's going to be season ticket holders 
at for home matches for the for the foreseeable and and that's that's great if we can get that done we won't be able to go because we're not season ticket holders but we want to see fans in there so i think that'll be the way it goes well there we go we're going to wrap up the pod with with your shout time for your shout which will hopefully be a regular feature where we just uh, put a a question serious or not to you guys on our social media facebook twitter and instagram um i got some just weird inspiration in the past couple of weeks off the back of basically nothing i just saw a conversation Story on, of Chris's on, life. On, on, <laughs> on twitter i can't remember who with about uh, naming stuff after derby players so uh we're finishing this podcast with some listener contributions and we wanted to know if you've ever named anything after a Rams player, um, whether it's a person, a pet, or even an uh, inanimate object. Um, Tom, you've got one, haven't you, to kick off? Well, we've got quite a few, actually. We, we live in the Ram Shack. Yeah, that uh, doesn't count. Then uh, <laughs> our, our broadband is Cocku's Chrome. And then uh, also I've got a fish, or I did have a fish, called Marco, Marco Gabbiadini. Well, that's, that, is the, <laughs> that is the theme, because a lot of the people that replied uh, named either fish fishes, dogs, or their own children after Derby players. So we had um, Sam Bunce on Twitter. He said he once had uh, two fish called Teal and Savage. Interesting choices. <laughs> Teal's a nice colour, so maybe yeah. it's a teal-coloured fish. This is a good... This is a good so I can't read all these out. We did have had like more than 70 replies. Uh, Jack Orton on Twitter. He said he once had a gerbil called Junior. <laughs> Junior's good. Um, Rob good Jones one. had... Uh, he had a rabbit called Loopily. That's um, a good name for rabbit. They're actually yeah. quite a junior is good because junior could also be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think that suits it well. Yeah, my own <laughs> personal one is that um, when I was a, when I was a kid, my my older brother had a, a Russian dwarf hamster called Georgie in the year two thousand, <laughs> which which went really well because you know like small, um, quick change of direction. Yeah. Um, Chubby was was good for like two years yeah. and then and then died. <laughs> I think Georgie's still alive. Uh, still alive. I think. Um, what else do we have? Uh, Scott on Twitter. This is just a weird one. He said the spare room in every house I've ever lived in has been named the Seth Johnson Suite. <laughs> I, I feel that. like there's I feel like there's some missing context that I need to know for uh, for that one. I mean, um, that, you wouldn't want to be stuck in a small room with Seth Johnson. I don't think. Do you, no. Is that off on Airbnb? Do you get like the Seth Johnson suite, like the Marco Gabbiadini Airbnb uh, in in your? Yeah, Cost nine million pounds and then and then it doesn't Shut work down now for three years. Um, I'm, I'm going to steal that. I'm, when I finally get a place, I'm going to call a spare room after a, a dark kind of player. I like that oh, a lot. We've got the Rammy suite upstairs, mate. Yeah, I've got the Rammy suite. This is a good one. Matthew Ward said he had a goldfish called Poom. <laughs> do you um, have a good song about poom not even not even Marts, just just poom just went for the surname um and this is <laughs> this is great um so the person who runs the uh, derby women's under 15 twitter account they didn't give me their actual name but they said my wife collected her new car the same day that lampard was announced as manager and she called it frank lamp car <laughs> doesn't even work doesn't, doesn't work for me that well one. the car might work very well um, and just finally Charlie Lowe messaged us on Twitter to say uh, my dad literally named me Charlie George my name is Charlie George I didn't have much of a chance <laughs> if and when it happens would you ever consider naming a child after a derby player oh well I don't know I haven't really thought about that when you put me on the spot I quite like the name Charlie though but um, Jamie yeah. after Jamie yeah. Hansen I was thinking more yeah <laughs> Jamie, <laughs> Jamie Ward two, two of my yeah. favourite underrated derby players so yeah okay we'll go for jamie jamie or charlie i think the closest i've got is uh when my wife and i got a cat my wife's a huddersfield fan we could i i jokingly suggested we name it after a player that had played for derby and town so i thought about naming it theo after robinson 
but uh, she, she laughed up that suggestion. But you so went for Omar after Omar, Omar Mascarell. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Coach, what about you? Do you ever consider naming something after a Derby player, past or present? Mm, I mean, I'm currently... No, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, my ne- my nephew's called Charlie. Not, nothing to do with me or Derby. Uh, and I'm working on him currently becoming a, an avid Derby County fan. Uh, my password is still a particular Derby County player from Marvin about 20 years ago. Uh, I won't give you any more clues than that because otherwise there could be a cyber breach. I don't know. A pet. I think a pet's the most likely, but I think I will steal the, uh, the Seth Johnson suite idea. I'm definitely taking that. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I want to make a little sign and everything. Yeah, that's my personal favourite. The, uh, Mar- the Mark Poom room. <laughs> <laughs> the Jamie Hampton hub. <laughs> any other business before we go? We'll just probably say goodbye to, uh, in the short term at least, to uh, Mason Bennett and Scott Malone, uh, two slightly much maligned figures on the podcast. Uh, Mason Bennett leaving Derby permanently for Millwall and Scott Malone sent out on a season-long loan to Millwall. Anything to say about those two players? I think it's good business. I think some of the vitriol aimed at Mason Bennett is uh, shocking and unnecessary. I don't really see why he's done he's done that much wrong. You know, he hasn't quite delivered on his potential. Uh, some of that's a result of his own fault. Some of it's not a result of his own fault. I think it's brilliant that he's going to get a fresh start. And I would personally wish Mason Bennett all the best. Uh, I don't quite appreciate the amount of abuse that he gets on Twitter. Uh, Scott Malone, don't really care about. Um, you know, we've got too many left backs and he's probably the worst of the four. Uh, so I think it's probably good to get him off the wage bill. I agree with you with Bennett Kutch. Um, I do think that he, he obviously made his debut as what, a 15 year old at Middlesbrough and it was a real hope for this, the uh, academy coming through. Must have been the, the first academy player to have played at Derby in their sort of current crop of like, the current generation of young players coming through. Um, and he just never really kicked on. I think, um, I think someone put on Twitter the other day about has he ever played a, a full 90 minutes for Derby? I think that's the main thing he needs to work on is fitness. So he, he can compete in for 90 minutes and he can do that in two two or three games a week. And that's if he does that, I think he'll be a really good signing for Millwall. Uh, if he doesn't and he can't get his fitness, then unfortunately I don't think that's a great signing. So it could go either way for him. Uh, and as I say, Scott Malone, I think the right decision for all, all involved. And I think we'll see him running down his contract for next summer. Well, Mason Bennett can't do it every week and frankly, neither can we. So we're going to try and return back to our normal fortnightly pattern of podcasts uh, this season. So we're going to return after the opener against Reading at home uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, until then, you can don't forget you, some, you can subscribe to the podcast before we go. Go on, you know you want to. Or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate that. If you do have the time on iOS, uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. Spotify and SoundCloud but uh, until next time Richard cheers thank you very much and Tom I'll leave you both to nurse those hangovers thanks for joining us yeah all the best and see you next time (laughs) 